series of worship. This is our sixth week, and um, we're still in the introduction, um, kind of. Uh, we've been taking our time through it, and we've talked about worship and, and how we're understanding worship to be more than just singing, more than just music. Actually, singing is just a, an expression of worship. Worship is basically our love expressed. You're going to express your love and your honor and your, and your respect to something. And that's what you worship. So if you express your love and your admiration and your respect and your honor towards the Lord, uh, that's worship. It can be expressed through songs. It can be expressed through just time with him. It can be expressed through just words that you say. But worship is a time where you and God, it's about you being with God. That's worship. And when you looked at our passage in Romans chapter 12, and we'll read that. We've gone over it several times, and if you haven't heard any of these, they're online. You can go back and listen, so we won't spend a whole lot of time on this. But, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Remember the first 11 chapters talks about all that God has done for us. We're not under the law. We're under grace. He declares us righteous because of Jesus. All these wonderful things. And in, in response to that, we... Uh, present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2 says, don't copy the pattern and customs of the world. See, the world has a different idea. When it comes to living for the Lord, when it comes to, to what's important, uh, the world system, God's not number one. With the world system, the world is number one. You know, we are, you know, it's I, the one I think about me. You think about you. That's, that's, that's the world system. That's the system we were raised in. You don't have to teach a kid to be bad. You don't. You have to teach them to be good. You can tell. We were talking with someone this morning. You can tell kids that have had no training. No discipline. Right? You know, back in the day, I was telling someone back in the day, my grandma, she didn't play. She beat any kid. Kid running around KMR, you better find your mama. I mean, she didn't play. But see, kids are raised, and if, and if there's not teaching and instruction, they're bad. Their behavior is bad, right? You've never seen a kid, oh, they're so good, they probably didn't have much of a parental guidance because they're way too nice. That never happens. The way kids are well-behaved and mannered is because they're disciplined. And, and they're, they're taught. I never taught my kids to say, no. They learned that on their own. I don't know how. They learned it. They, they didn't like to share. We didn't teach them. Hey, listen, don't share, okay? If someone takes your toy, you throw a fit. We didn't teach them that. They did that on their own. So when we're born into this world, we're born where we usually go that direction until we really understand and give our lives to the Lord, and then we change. So we have to look at the world system. They've never, they've never turned things over to God. God is not who they worship. And we don't want to follow that, that custom. But this says, let God transform you into a new person by changing how you think. Let God take you through that metamorphosis process is what that Greek word is. Let God change you from this to this, to from someone who doesn't understand to someone who understands what worship is really, really all about. 
Then it says, you'll, you'll, you'll learn God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, you can know the will of God. There's things about God's will that you can know. And when you focus on him and you allow him to transform your mind and transform you and renew your mind, you begin to understand things that are God's will. That's what the word says. You'll understand and you'll know it. So we got to have this attitude of worship that it's about presenting ourselves to God. It's all about you. A living sacrifice. When you think of sacrifice, you usually think of something dying. So a living sacrifice. In other words, you live for God, you die to yourself. That's what worship is. That's when you worship God, you're expressing your love for him, and he's the one you live for. So when you and God disagree, you submit to the leadership of the Lord. Right? All right. Now look at Mark 12, 29 through 30. Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Verse 30. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Here's what Jesus is saying right here. The greatest thing, the most important thing, sums up all the law, sums everything up. Love God with everything. That's worship. Worship isn't, you know, make sure you read your Bible every day. That's the greatest commandment. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Do you remember that song for those who don't? That was a song when I was a kid. It actually had motions to it. You would go to grow, grow, grow. We won't sing it. Don't worry. But, but that was, it wasn't about you acting a certain way. He said the greatest thing is that you love God. And worship is expressing that love to God. By living for him, by spending time with him, by reading his word, by letting him speak to you, by listening to him. Okay, so, so we're going back to review a little bit. It's not about your performance. That's not worship. Worship will result in you doing things for God. But that's not worship. That's the result of a life of worship. All right, you with me? Now, t- we're going to start today. We're going to talk about hindrances to worship. And there's, we're going to go over three of them. One is the enemy, one is fear, and one is our flesh. And we're going to talk about these over the next three weeks. But today we're going to talk about the fact that we, we have an enemy. Now, the Bible is very clear that we need to be aware that we have an enemy. You know, when I, <clears throat> when I played uh, sports, I remember when I was in junior high, I was playing basketballs, kind of the first organized basketball I played. And I didn't get in the game a lot because, one, I was very little. And, <clears throat> and also, I guess you have to be good to start on the team. And I wasn't that great. But whenever we had a really big lead, coach would put me in the game. Or if we were losing by a lot, coach would put me in the game. And I remember this one game I got into, and, and we're, we're, you know, I have, you have to understand my personality. I'm always trying to do stupid things. Well, we're going down, the other team has the ball, okay, and I'm supposed to be guarding this guy. And the, well, the guy I was guarding, um, another guy had the ball, and they were going to pass to him. Well, he took off running that way. And he was a lot faster than me. So instead of staying with him, I just turned. I was like, hey, right here, right here. And the guy passed me the ball. And I wasn't on his team. And I thought that was the greatest play ever. I was like, yes. You know, I got the ball. And, uh, and my coach said, listen, play defense. Nine times out of ten, that's not going to work. It worked because the guy looked and didn't realize I wasn't, that I wasn't on his team. And he passed me the ball. And it worked great. 
But there's something about understanding. I'm sure he got a little talk to from his coach saying, listen, buddy, that guy's not on our team. You have to know who's on your team. You have to know who's not on your team. It's important for you to know that you have an adversary, not for you to walk around in fear, not for you to look around like, is the devil trying to get me? No. But you have to understand the enemy just wants to deceive you. He wants to get you to question God's word. And the Bible says you you have to know that. Hosea 4.6, it's in your notes. It says people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So if, if you don't know something, then you could be in trouble. You know, I've said this before, but let's say there was a, a big old grizzly bear out there, escaped from the zoo, wild, crazy, already hurt people. If you know that, you're going to stay in here. If you don't know that, you go out there, then you find yourself in trouble. So how many would agree that the knowledge that there's a bear out there would be great knowledge? It would change the decision you make. So if you know you have an enemy, then whenever you have this sense or something that says to you something against God's word or that God's not faithful and that God's not going to help you, then you can be aware. So wait a minute. I know I have an enemy. And he's going to try to get me off track because he's the enemy. He's, he's, he's anti-God, he's against God, and he, wants to, he knows his day's coming when it's over, and he wants to take as many people with him. He is not on your side. Now, you need to know that you have, you have an adversary. So let's look at the scripture. <clears throat> look at Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this adversary, Satan, okay, the devil. He started... As an angel, Lucifer. Let's read this. How fall you have how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of morning. You've been thrown down to the earth. You destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, listen to what Lucifer said. Now he's actually talking to a king right here, and it's a word he's having for the king, but he's talking about the spirit behind the king, which is of the devil. Okay? And this happens, you see it in the New Testament. Remember when Peter questioned God? And Jesus said, I'm going to go, and, and, and they're going to, I'm going to be crucified. And remember how uh, Peter tries to stop everything, and that one time that he questioned Jesus, and Jesus actually said this to Peter, get thee behind me, and what did he call him? Jesus, he didn't play. I mean, he went straight to P- Peter, that's of the devil, for you to try to stop me from fulfilling my father's plan. So he wasn't saying Peter is the devil. He was going deeper to what was behind that. And it was the enemy. That's what he's doing right here. So, so here's what Lucifer says when he's in at this moment where he's kicked out of heaven. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. So listen, he's talking about building himself up, right? I will ascend. I will ascend. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away from the north. I will climb, going up. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you'll be brought down. This is what God says. Instead, you'll be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest depths. Look in Ezekiel. It's another place where this is talked about. All right, let's go to the the next passage in Ezekiel 28. 
All right. I'll look, I'll look it right here. Ezekiel chapter 28. That's it. Then this further message came to, came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him the message from the sovereign Lord. So again, this is the king of Tyre, but it goes back to the deep roots that it's of the devil. And here's what he says. You were the model of perfection. He's not talking to the king here. The king was not perfect. Okay, the king of Tyre was not perfect. Full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. I mean, I'm sure he was a good-looking king, but he was not exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. This king was not there. Okay, the enemy was there. Okay, the enemy came and, and uh, went to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. But listen what it says. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Red, carnelian, pale green, uh, peridot, white, moonstone, blue-green, beryl, ox, green, jasper, blue, lapis, lazuli, turquoise. I'm probably not saying all these right. And emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God, walked among stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. So here's where Lucifer is thrown out of heaven. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus actually saw it. And he says, yes, he told me, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know how fast lightning is? In other words, when, when Satan began to try to elevate himself, God had no part of playing it. And it wasn't like, hey, hey, hey. Boom, you're gone. That's it. Gone. Now in Isaiah, uh, in that chapter in Isaiah 14, in verse 11, it talks again a little bit about, uh, Lucifer says, your might and power are buried with you. The sound of your harp in your palace has ceased. See, Lucifer was... He even had in his covering, in his who he was and what he wore, it was, there was, it was music. It was worship. It was, it was, that's what it was all about. That he even had this, this harp and these, these wonderful, there's one translation that talks about like this timbrel and pipes. So he was all about this worship thing. And I, I find, I heard someone say this a while back, and, but there's three archangels mentioned in the Bible. Okay. One of them is Lucifer. You know who another one is? Michael. And then one more, Gabriel. Now listen, Gabriel, you'll see in uh, Luke chapter 1, I think verse uh, 19, uh, when he's talking to Zacharias. And he says, listen, he comes to Zacharias and he he explains that Zacharias is going to have a son. They're going to have a son. And that's obviously John the Baptist. He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Okay? Then in verse 26 through 28, he talks to Mary. And he he says, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. 
And he, ex- and he explains to Mary, you've had favor with God. You're going to give birth to a son. And he talks about, obviously, Jesus coming. Okay, so here's Gabriel. When Gabriel shows up, he is declaring the word of God. Right? So you have Lucifer, who's kind of more in the worship side of things. Okay, just worship before God. That he wanted to be worshipped. That's where he went wrong. But he was in this worship side. Then there's Gabriel, who was more declaring the word of God. So you have God's word, you have worship. And then Michael, Michael was seen in scripture a lot in Daniel chapter 10 regarding prayer. So you look at three of the most important things in the life of a believer. It's prayer, the word, and worship. Right? You following me? So when Michael, Daniel prays, and he prays for 21 days he fasts and prayed, and the the angel shows up and says, listen, the second you started, I was sent to come. But there was a battle with this spirit of Persia. There was this battle with this spirit going on, and Michael came as a result of your prayer. Michael came, and, and, and I was able to, this other messenger was able to go to Daniel because Michael came and intervened. This angel, all right? So Michael's associated with, with prayer. You have Gabriel associated with the word of God. You have Lucifer associated with, with worship. And it's, and it's weird, too, that when Lucifer fell, a third of the angels fell with him. So I, I think that there was this part of these three things that were very important to the life of a believer. And here's what I want to talk to you about. When Satan fell, he fell because he wants to be worshipped. He doesn't want worship going to God. In that one verse in the New Living, it said because of his rich commerce. And another translation talks about, <clears throat> I forget the word it uses, but it's basically like, I've heard it explained this way. If I have a, a business, okay, and I'm selling something and John works for me and he sells something for $100 and something is sold for 100 and he sells it for 150 and he keeps 50 and puts 100 in, then he's actually trying to take some of what is, doesn't belong to him. And that's what, that's what the enemy was doing. The enemy wanted to take what wasn't his. He wanted to take honor. He wanted to take worship. He wanted to be about him. And he fell. And when he fell, at that moment, it was all about getting everybody else to go with him so he can be worshiped. And I don't have these scriptures in your notes, but in the end times, the Bible talks about in Revelation 13 that people are going to worship the dragon. They're going to worship the evil. There's going to be a lot of people that worship what they call the dragon, the beast. And in, Roman, I mean in Revelation 12, 9, it actually says that dragon is the devil. And guess what? We're in the end times now. There's a lot of people that maybe not be putting the devil's face on it, but they're worshiping all the things that the devil has tempted them with and put in front of them, and they've got their worship off of God. And see, that's the plan of the enemy. The enemy isn't going to put the devil straight in front of him and say, worship Satan. He's not going to say that, but he will get you to worship anything and everything that's not God. He can even, he can even distract you in, in good things to stop you from really connecting with God. Listen, the enemy has no problem with you uh, doing things, uh, even nice things and good things, if it keeps you busy so you never really connect in relationship with God. So the enemy, I'm telling you, the enemy is out to destroy you, outright destroy you. And it's something that you have to be aware of. 
that he fell from heaven, and his plan is still to be glorified. His plan is still to be worshipped. It's, it's weird that in, in, in Matthew 4, when, when Jesus goes through the, the temptation, and it says it in Luke 2, that the devil actually tried to get Jesus to worship him, to bow before him. How crazy is that? But that's what his heart is. He doesn't want you worshiping God. Look at the scripture in 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert, okay? He says that first because he wants you to know you got to be alert about something. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Then he says it, the devil. Listen, your enemy is not a person. Your enemy is not somebody that's in your life right now. Your enemy is the devil. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Look at the next scripture, John 10, 10. The thief, which is the devil, his purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what his purpose is. We'll come back to the rest of that verse in just a minute. So you have to understand, this enemy, he's not playing games. And do you know how he got Eve and Adam? You know how when he showed up to Adam and Eve, and if you look in Genesis 3, you know how he deceived them? He got them to question God's word. He starts by saying, listen, listen. Did God really say, don't eat of this? Did God really say that? In other words, I'm not sure that you heard him right. That's not what he meant. Did God really say that? In other words, really think about this. Maybe that's not what God was saying. So when you come here and you, and you know, God, Lord, I know you're speaking to me about really worshiping you. And you walk out of here, you know what you're going to hear every now and then? You know, was that real? Did God, does God really think that? Does God really love me even with all my stuff? Will this really make a difference? Can I really be happy in this situation? Is that even really possible to have joy in difficult times? See, that's the enemy slowly just trying to deceive you into questioning this book. Questioning what God speaks to you. That's his whole purpose and plan is to destroy you. And the Bible is very clear that God's plans for you bring hope and the future and success and prosperity into your life. And if he can steal that away from you, he'll do it. If he can get you so busy, listen, there's been time, I've been in ministry for 22 years, full time. And I can tell you, especially when I first started, there was times that I did so much for God and had no quiet one-on-one -on -one time for just me and him. My time with God, I was studying. It wasn't about just filling up. It was about, I got, a, I got a message. I got to get a message. I got to prepare. I got, I got to speak on Wednesday. I got to speak on this. I got to go. I got a camp I got to speak at. I got this retreat I got to speak at. And you know what? And as, as wonderful as that was, I think the enemy was fine. Like, look, keep him busy because he's not connected with his father the whole time. See, that's, that, that's, that was destroying me. And the enemy will do that. And it's time that we, listen, it's time that we serve notice. It's time that we stand up and say, no more. I am not. I'm not going to buy into those lies. 
I know the enemy is out to destroy me. But because I know that, then I'm going to recognize every, everything of doubt that comes into my mind to doubt the word of God. I know the source of that. It's the enemy. And when you struggle, listen, you need to have people around you. You need to get your Bible out. You need to put your phone away. You need to get off the computer. You need to stop Facebook and just take some time and just you and God connect. And it'll, it'll, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll move you forward. It'll move you forward. The enemy's out to destroy you. Ephesians 6.12 says we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So see, our battle, it's not with people. And even the battle with the enemy is more not allowing him to deceive us. Because the enemy has already been defeated. You know that? You're already in a winning battle. You've already won. Read the end of it. We won. So every time the enemy tries to come at you, just remind him of his future. Listen here, I, you know, I say this all the time, but I, I have this feeling when we get to heaven, you know, at that moment where the Satan himself is thrown in the lake of fire, we're going to probably see that he's some little, little tiny dude. Not even a dude. I don't even know what you call him. Little devil. Just a little devil. We're going to think, really? I let you wreak havoc on my life? All my life, I, I listened to you? And no matter what he looks like or all that, I'm telling you, God is way bigger. I mean, he didn't have an option. As soon as he started trying to take the worship that belonged to God, the only God worthy of worship, he dropped like a bad transmission. Right? Done. I have no idea where that analogy came from. But it, it, he just, he was done. He doesn't have any power. He doesn't have any power. Look at this, look at this scripture. Let's talk about how we have victory over the enemy. Because I want you to know, right now, you already have victory over the enemy. It's not something you have to perform. You are victorious. Romans 8 says you are more than conquerors through Jesus. So you already have, you already are a conqueror. You're more than that because of Jesus. Look at the scripture, John 10, 10. We read the beginning. Now let's read the end. Jesus talks about what the enemy's plan is, but then he says, here's my purpose. I come to give you a rich, satisfying life. So you give in to the enemy, I'm going to tell you what you're going to get. You're going to be stole from. You're going to be killed. You're going to be destroyed. Your dreams, your passions, your relationships, your jobs, everything. When you give in to the enemy. But when you connect with God, God's purpose is to give you life and life more abundantly. Just from connecting with him. Just from being connected with him. That's what he comes to give you. Look at Isaiah 59, 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. When the enemy comes in, the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. Let's look at the next verse. James 4, 7. You want to know how to walk in victory? Humble yourself before God. In other words, it's that place of humility, that place of reverence and honor to know it's not about me, but it's about him. When you humble yourself before God, you don't have to fight the devil. You just resist. 
one of those, not here. Nope, not today. Not doing it. You could, people misquote that. People all the time, resist the devil, he'll flee. Not if you don't humble yourself. Because you by yourself, you don't have the power. But when you're humble before God and you're connecting with him, then you have the power that the enemy cannot come near you. He can't come near you. Look at 1 John 3, 8. When people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. To destroy the works of the devil. He came for you and he came for me so we could have victory. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive. Let me ask you this. What made you alive? Right. Say anything about, but then you read your Bible. Oh, and you prayed three days in a row and I brought you to life. No. God made you alive. God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave how much of your sins? The sin that you've been struggling with even this past week. Does it fit under all? Yeah. He forgave all your sins. Let's go to the next one. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. See, every time the enemy wants to bring up your past, yeah, but you know you were so, listen, that's what's been taken care of. It's all been taken care of. God took care of it a long time ago. I love verse 15. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When what we celebrated last week, when, when Jesus died and rose again for us, listen, he defeated the enemy once and for all. And he publicly shamed them. So you and I can walk in victory. He disarmed them. See, we think Satan has all this power. He just tries to deceive you. That's it. He can't, he's not going to, he can't, listen, as a child of God, He's not going to overtake you when you're submitted to the things of God. He has no power against you as a believer. None. None. You are on the victorious side. Look at Ephesians, or look at 1 John 2, 12 through 14. I'm writing you as God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ. You're mature because what? You know Christ. You spend time with him. You're mature because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing you who are young in the faith. You're in the faith because you've won your battle with the evil one. Verse 14, I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are in the young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your heart and you have won the battle with the evil one. It keeps talking about this battle that they're winning, the mature and the young, and they're winning because they know God, because they know Christ, because God's word is in their heart. So once again, we walk in victory not by trying to sit here and talk to the devil all day. 
we, we won victory over the enemy because we connect to God. That's it. Connecting to God gives us victory. I'm not saying there's never a time. The Bible says, bind on earth, they'll be bound in heaven. I'm not saying there's never a time to rebuke the enemy. But I just want you to know, please, please, when you pray, talk more to God than you do the enemy. You ever been to one of them, one of them people pray for you and they spend 20 minutes talking to the devil? Devil, I'm telling you right now, you better let go. You better leave. Devil, you better. Devil, you better. I'm like, hey, you might want to switch up. Talk to God. When you humble yourself before God, you resist the devil. He's got to flee. You ain't got to talk him out. You submit yourself to God. The, re- the devil flees. That's, that's the power we have when we connect to God. Nowhere are we, are we told, oh, Yo, you got to fight this devil. And even we're going to keep going. But look at Ephesians 6.10. A final word, be strong in who? In the Lord. That's not your strength. That's his strength. Be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to what? Stand. You're not not going out trying to finally make a way for victory. You already have it, so you're going to stand in it. Right? You're not, you're not on this offensive, I'm going to go beat up all the devil, I'm going to go do all that. Listen, you stand in a place that you already are victorious. And you don't let the enemy move you off of that place of victory. You stand firm. Look at the next scripture. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, but to keep me, this is in uh, Corinthians, but to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan. So this messenger from Satan comes to torment Paul and keep him from being proud. But look what happens. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So, so now, Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles, for I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is one of those places where you would think Paul's like, please take this away. But God was saying, listen, even if it's there, it doesn't have to stop you. It doesn't have to change you. It doesn't have to ruin you. My grace is sufficient to take care of that. Your strength is perfect. When, When you acknowledge weakness, my strength is perfect to carry you through. Even what the enemy wants to come to destroy you, listen, God says, look, it will not destroy you. It will not destroy you. You will not be defeated. Stand in the power that God has given you. And it's in your weakness that God's strength is perfect. So go ahead and admit, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm weak. Because when you acknowledge that, guess what? That's when God's strength is really good. Paul says, I boast about my weakness. People don't do that. How crazy is that, boasting about your weakness? How you doing? Oh, pretty weak today. Pretty weak. Yep. Man, I am weak today. Been weak all week. Guess what? There's something okay with that. And I don't mean in the sense of not recognizing God's strength. But be able to say, listen, there's more on my plate than I can handle. But I got God. And with him, all things are possible. And his strength is made perfect when I'm at this place. So I trust him. God's got this. Look at these last two scriptures. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15, 57, last scripture. But thank 
God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know where your victory comes from? God. So connect to him. Connect to him. I wanna, I'm going to close with this. Do you know that every day the enemy is looking for an opportunity to tear you down? You know that? And if we're not careful, we just stay in our little routines. We just do what we do. But sometimes I've looked at my own life and thought, you know what, I, I have bought into something early on in ministry that the enemy didn't have to work hard to get me distracted. And I thought, you know what, I think the enemy kind of pointed something out or whatever, and I kind of fell for it, and he ain't even had to bother me any. I'm just doing my thing. But when I really decided today, let me give you an example. When I decided, when we planted this church, the Lord spoke to me, the scripture in Matthew 16, he says, listen, there's five words that stood out to me when Jesus was talking to Peter and them about who do people say that I am. And, and Peter says, you're Jesus, you're, God, you're the son of the living God. And, and he said, you know what, the father revealed that to you. And then he said this, upon this rock, and then these five words stood out, I will build my church. And although there was nothing in my Bible that was bigger font, the words that stood out were I and my. And that's Jesus talking. And Jesus said, I, it's almost like he was telling me, Scott, listen, I will build my church. I'm not asking you to build my church, and I'm not going to build your church. I'm going to build my church. And that's the only church. That is the only church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Now, let me tell you something. When I grabbed hold of that, I knew there's such a peace in me to trust God. But I'm going to tell you one of the biggest temptations that continues to come at me is to go back to the old way of churches I was at before where you have all these strategic plans. You have all these great ways of trying to get people to come and you do all these wonderful things to try to attract people and you, you have lights and you have huge bands and you have smoke and I have skinny jeans and I'm like, yeah, you know, and there's all this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, I grew up, man, I, I took a youth ministry from 11 to over 300 teenagers because I kept coming up with new ideas and new stuff about reaching them. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. Let's give this away. Let's do this. You know what the most successful church I've ever been a part of is this one. Not because I'm passionate, but because I'm not. Because I'm just a tool that God is using. But because I know this is what God's called us to do, that's where the enemy tries to come at me. But because I'm aware, I fight it. I say, nope, this ain't my thing. If you want that, you got to ask the leader. you got to ask the great shepherd. I'm not going to fall into that. 
So when you decide you're going to really stay there, I'm telling you, when you are going to stay true to what God has called you, you might as well expect the enemy to try to get you distracted. Because if you're not a threat to him, he ain't going to bother you. But if you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, he's going to try to distract you. When he sees you worshiping God, he's going to try to distract you. That's why you got to recognize that the enemy's behind it. It's not the person that you're against. It's not the job. It's not the situation. It's the enemy. He's going to use anything he can to destroy you. And today, you've been equipped with the knowledge to know that's the enemy. Now you decide to walk in the victory God's given you or to give in to those lies. For me, it's not an option. As for me in this house, we will serve the Lord.